Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Hey, you're plugging into the greatest amount of, of resource that you can. So the idea here with trust is that the more you trust, the more Hashem can help you. The more you understand Ain Od Milvado, there is nothing besides Him, the more He can do for you. So that is the more uh, generally accepted idea of Bitachon. Okay. Now, obviously, there are times when it doesn't matter how much you trust, Hashem has His Hashkacha. He has His plans for us that, again, we cannot always fathom or understand. But there is an idea that things will happen in your favor depending on the level and the amount and the depth of which you trust. Okay, so what we want to talk about today, the question that we want to speak about is the question of how having, how, having bitachon in God, trusting in God, and making hishtadlut, our efforts, go together. This is the question of providence and free will, right? That Hashem controls everything. He controls our destiny. We're fated. Yes, we have free will, but our free will is limited in terms of changing our fate or our destiny, right? And the question is, if Hashem controls everything and a person has faith in God, then why do anything? Just let him do it right? Just sit at home and let it happen. Why have to do anything? The next question is, and if a person does have to do something, what then does it mean to have faith? How much should you be doing? So it's a very delicate balance between belief, faith, and how much effort we're supposed to make. So that's the question. If a person of faith has to make efforts, how much effort should he make? So this is a question, the last one, that we have to realize is a question that varies depending on the person and the situation. Again, let's say we all have faith on this class. We all believe, we all know there's a God. But our bitachon, how much we trust God, will influence how much effort we have to make. The idea is, is that the more trust you have in Hashem, the less efforts you will have to make in terms of making a living, in terms of finding a doctor, right? You won't have to go all over the world. You'll find the doctor much more quickly. You'll have to find the doctor with one phone call, not with 500 phone calls. Okay, just to give you an example. And of course, the less bitachon, the more efforts you have to make. And again, it's very difficult for us to know where we're holding because we don't really know how much bitachon we have. You know, the rabbis say a lot of people think they have a lot of bitachon. Because of it, they don't make efforts, but they should be because they really don't. They're just lazy, right? You know, God will do it, God will do it, God will do it. But then you have the opposite Jews. You know, you have the Jews who are always saying, yeah, yeah, God will do it. You do it yourself, you know, do it yourself, do it yourself. And those Jews like to do too much. You know, if you don't do it yourself, God's not going to help you, right? 
But those Jews are the type that overdo and don't allow God to do maybe more for them than they ever imagined. Maybe you don't have to make 500 phone calls. Maybe three was enough to get your kid into that school, right? Maybe you don't have to call everybody you know or sweat and, and have sleepless nights. Maybe those, were, those efforts were not needed, but you think, yes, I have to do this because if I don't do, God's not going to help me. Well, how much do you have to do? So we err on both sides. So in, in, in the Gemara and Brachas 33b, it says, Hakol bidei shamayim shamayim chutz shamayim. And I'm sure many of you have heard this phrase before. It means, again, this, this sort of dichotomy of everything is in the hands of heaven, except for the fear of heaven, except for one's ability to, and degree to which they see God, so to speak, in their life, except for the degree to which you live with God as a reality, and your choices, the choices that you make in life are framed by that belief. So, again, we have two types of people. One type of person says, listen, if everything is in the hands of heaven, then I'm just going to sit back and relax, you know? What do I got to do anything for? Just sit back and relax. Hashem's going to do for me. If everything's foreordained, then either it's going to happen or it's not. So why do anything? And I'm sure you've all heard that joke about the guy who wants to win the lottery, right? And he keeps praying to God, you know, God, why don't you let me win the lottery? You know, I'm, I'm so good. I dubbing every day. I keep Shabbos. I keep kosher. And I'm asking you and begging you, please let me win the lottery. And finally, a voice comes down from heaven and says, listen, Joe, you got to buy a ticket, you know? Okay. So that's the extreme you know, um, I'm just going to let God take care of this. I don't have to do anything. Why? Because I have a lot of trust in God. Okay? So this person is guilty of too much bitachon. Now, what about the other, like we said? So, Devorah, can I just yeah. ask you, um, would you say he's guilty of too much bitachon or misplaced bitachon? Well, it's really a lighthearted joke just to show that, you know, when we just don't do anything and we expect yeah. that God's going to do for us, that's not the right um, combination of bitachon and ishtadlut. You have to buy a ticket. You have to do something if you want something to happen. Okay? Um, so true amuna means that you act, and this is very crucial, you act like it depends on you. You make efforts like it depends on you, but you trust in Hashem, you pray to Hashem, you dove into Hashem as if it all depended on Him. So you've got this kind of dichotomy, and that's why bitachon is so difficult. And we're going to talk more about that. Okay. So it's very difficult to do both of these at the same time, because we either feel that it's because of our efforts, it's because of what I did, that the results happened. I worked hard. I got degrees. I went to Harvard. I did my due diligence. That's why things worked out in my life. That's why, you know, this is the way things are. 
So we either feel we're the ones whose efforts created the results, or we have the opposite idea, right? When we're in a situation where we know that our efforts cannot yield any of what we want because the situation is totally out of control and we don't have, we know we have no control over it, then we can easily say, ah, you know what? It was Hashem who did it. It was clear that Hashem rescued us. It was clear that Hashem split the Yamsu, split the Red Sea, right? Because there's no way I could do that. Okay. I once just quipped to this doctor. There was a doctor that, unfortunately, he was like a, a he was like a, a, he was just a medical student. And he was actually in the room with my mother and a few of us. And he literally announced in front of my mother and to everybody in the room, it'll be today or tomorrow. Now, this was, again, this was like a, a year. And she lived another year and three months from that moment, okay? And I said to him, because I heard this uh, joke, I said to him, do you know the difference between God and a doctor? And he kind of was looking at me and I said, God doesn't think he's a doctor, you know? So, you know, people can get out of control with their sense of control, of all knowing. And this is why this is very important. Okay, so we need to find a balance. Hishtadlus means you make your own efforts. But the question is, how much effort? Now, Rabbi Avigdor Miller in his book on Emun and Bitachon he says that this is the great test of mankind to know how much effort. Because too much effort results in something that we call yadi. my strength and the work of my hands yielded this result. And in the Torah, whenever we have this saying, this phrase, yadi, it's always the beginning of the end for the Jewish people. Because it basically is an expression of kicking Hashem out and saying, I don't really need you. I'm doing well on my own. I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I'm, I've got the, you know, I've got the resources. I've, I'm rich enough. I'm gorgeous enough. I'm okay. Right? And whenever we go there, it's, it's not good. And then there's the opposite. That is doing too little. And too little means that you may neglect your responsibilities. You may not be doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is more. And it may come from, of course, the media of laziness, which is disguised as religiosity, right? Everybody knows that joke. I'm sure if you ever had any kids in yeshiva, Right There's this famous joke that was going around. I don't really like it, but it expresses this very well. So basically, you know, there was a young couple and the, the, uh, the new husband was sitting and learning in yeshiva in Israel and the in-laws came to visit in Israel. And the father-in-law was curious. He said, you know, I know you want to learn for a couple of years and start your marriage this way, but what are you planning to do in the future? How are you going to make a living? And the young Hassan, the young Hatan, the groom said, Hashem Yazor, Hashem will help me. And he said, yeah, really. He said, but you know, like, what are you, what, are you going to go to school? Are you going to get a, a profession? What, like, what are you planning to do? And he said, you know, Hashem Yazor, Hashem Yazor. Anyway, finally, this father-in-law turned to his wife. He said, you know, I'm very flattered because I think my son-in-law thinks I'm God. 
you know, God will help. <laughs> he thinks I'm God. Wow. Okay. So, all right. So how much is in our hands? That is the question. How do we know if we're doing too much? It's me, it's me, it's me. And how do we know if we're doing too little? So Rabbi Avigdor Miller explains, and this is very important, that cause and effect in this world, there's two types of cause and effect. So there's the cause and effect that we would call nature, alpiteba, according to the natural physical world, which is when I do something, right? I go to school, I get a degree, I go out, I try to get a job, I get a job, I get my paycheck every day, these, this is cause and effect, right? If I put my hand on the, on the fire, it's going to burn. This is regular life. This is part of life. And that's the idea of Ishtadlut is that when we make our efforts, the outcome is the result of our efforts. Okay, but we all know, if you've lived long enough, we all know there's people who have degrees and have connections and have money and have everything. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wealthy, or it doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthy, or it doesn't necessarily mean, and people who take care of themselves physically and, you know, drop dead, God forbid, at 40 years old when they're playing ball with their kid outside. So we know that there are things that go against what we would call cause and effect. This is the way it's supposed to be. And that's what we call the second type of cause and effect, which is hashkacha. God's providence, God's plan for mankind and for each one of us in specific. Okay. Uh, Devorah? Yes. I, I have a collection of very bad jokes from Rabbi's uh, Shirim. You know the joke about the man, there's a flood coming and people are trying to help him and the water gets deeper all the time. Right. I, th I thought of saying that one. Right. Yeah. I yeah. sent you a boat. I sent you a plane. Exactly. Yeah. So that fits in also very nicely. Yeah. Sure help most is of you coming. know that. We have, have help to is recognize. coming. Exactly. We have to you have to recognize it. Yeah. Very nice, uh, Florence. Thank you for sharing. It. So man has free will. We've talked about this. We all have the Hira. In the realm of the soul, we are in control. That's an important point, in the realm of the soul. And that means in terms of the choices that we make as we're going through life. I just want to give you an example from the Rambam, that's Maimonides, right, who was an incredible Torah scholar. But as we know, he also was a doctor. And he wrote a lot about how to take care of your body, which is the temple of your soul. And the Rambam was unique because he literally wrote that he can guarantee that if you take care of your body in the way that you should, and briefly, I just know that he says four things. There are four things that, can trip, that create disease. One is eating the wrong foods. Two is eating too fast. Um, What's the third one? Eating too fast, eating the wrong foods. Anyway, I can't remember, but it's, it's, it's very clear. He has a whole thing on, and there are people who have written books on his diet. But anyway, the Rambam is the only one that says that if you take care of yourself physically, you will be healthy. 
and it's a choice. And illness is a result of your own negligence. And, uh, you know, Rabbi Victor Miller says, don't have a Muna and blame Hashem for your ill health. Have a Muna and blame yourself for your ill health. So the idea, again, is that many solve the problem of bitachon and ishtabdut by leaning too heavily on one side or the other. In other words, I don't have to make so many efforts. I can eat whatever I want because God's going to keep me healthy. And then, of course, others think that it's all in their hands. So, um, I always find it really interesting that the people who believe in making a lot of effort, they always quote that Pasuk in the Torah. You know, man doesn't live by bread alone. Meaning, you know, you can't just survive on bread, you know. You need, like, croissants. You need other stuff. But they never finish the sentence because, by the way, the end of the sentence says, Man does not live by God alone, but upon the word of God, right? So there you've got, you know, a little bit of this teeter-totter idea again of, yes, it's true. You do need to go out and earn your bread, but you always have to know that the results are not in your hands, that God will decide the outcome through hashkacha. Okay. Another idea, and I, I really want to get to Dina Schoonmaker, but I just felt like this is very important. So another question, why do we even have to work for a living? This is a question that's asked in the duties of the heart, Fovos Olavavos. I've quoted it before. There's a whole section on bitachum. So Rabbi Abigdor Miller uh, points out in his book, there's two reasons why we have to work for a living. The first is for man's soul to be tested. Making a living tests us. Right? We know that the, um, okay, so in, in what way is it a test? Well, think about it. Will he be honest while making a living? Will he steal? Will he covet? Will he work on days that he shouldn't? Will he be responsible? Will he be fair? Will he pay his workers on time? There are so many halachos about how to do business as like a mensch right? And they're very intricate and complicated, and they need to be studied by people who are Ehrlich Yidden, okay? Um, so what, what, what Hashem is doing is he gave us work, because work helps translate the latent into the actual, our belief system into, again, our behavior. It takes a lot of trust in Hashem to not cheat, to realize when somebody opens a shoe store up across the street from you and you sell shoes, that you're still going to make the living that you're supposed to make, right? As long as that person was allowed to open that shoe store. That's another question. Okay. Um, so we actualize our potential by facing misayono, by facing trials and tests. And making a living is every day a trial and a test in so many areas of, of our midot. The second reason is very simply because it's important to be constructive. And if man didn't have to work for a living, then he would become lazy. He would have too much leisure time and it would lead to all kinds of decadence and ills of society. So basically on a very basic level, keeps a person out of trouble. Okay. 
So we're going to go back now to Dina Schoonmaker, and we're going to continue to um, explore this concept of hishtadlut through a more musr, midot type of way. So she asked the question, what's the purpose of hishtadlut? What is the purpose of making efforts? As we know, if you trust in God, then what do you have to make efforts for? He's doing everything. He'll take care of you. So there's a Gemara at the end of Kedushin that reads like this. I never saw a lion who was a porter or a fox running a store. Okay. Animals don't do anything for Parnassa. Okay, they might have to run a little bit after their prey, but it's not something that keeps them up at night. As I said before, Rabbi Shimshon Pinka says that what distinguishes us from animals is animals don't worry. <laughs> they don't say, I wonder what's for dinner, you know? Um, they, don't, they don't have these kind of inclinations. You know, they also don't do chesed. They don't necessarily set up homes for aged giraffes or anything like that. So they are different than we are, okay? But human beings, as we know, worry. And Parnassa is a jungle. And animals who were created to serve us, their Parnassa comes easily. And yet, we who were created to serve Hashem, and yet Hashem makes our Parnassa a very difficult thing. So why is that? By the way, just a, a little review, but you know there's four levels of life in this world. So the first lowest level is called domain, which is the inanimate world. That's represented by earth and rocks. And then you have the next level, which is called someach, which is all things that grow. So obviously the things that grow are dependent on the level beneath them. Above that, you have something called chai, which is the animal world. And of course, the animal world is dependent on all the vegetation for its survival. And above the animal world, you have human beings who are called the middaber, the ones who speak, who were endowed with the ability of articulate speech. And of course, above the middaber, you have God. So each level derives its survival, so to speak, or each level is served by the one beneath it. And we as human beings are meant to serve Hashem. So it's kind of like Maslow's uh, pyramid, only it's the Jewish version, okay, um, of well-being, if you know, if you're familiar with that. Um, okay, so, so our situation was supposed to be the same as the animals, by the way. Before Adam and Chava ate from the tree, we were not supposed to have to work for our living. That was a punishment that Adam was given when he was told to leave the garden. Otherwise, everything was prepared for him. The tree that he ate from, the rabbis, I know everybody thinks it was an apple, but there's many opinions about what it was. And one opinion says it was a tree that grew bread on it. And the symbolism of the idea of growing bread on it is that bread is something that has many 
um, steps to creating, right? You have to grow the wheat, you have to, I don't know the whole thing, whatever, you have to refine it, you have to chaff it, you have to you separate the wheat and the chaff, you have to take it to the mill, blah, 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 you have to add your eggs and your sugar and da, 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 and then you finally have your loaf of bread. So the, the idea that the tree was growing bread on it was this idea that man did not have to engage in any kind of physical, material work. His work in the garden was all spiritual. Much like the Jews when they were in the desert and they were receiving manna every day, our life was a very spiritual life. We didn't have to think about what we're going to eat for dinner. You know, we just had to imagine what we wanted the man to taste like. It was that easy. Okay, but. Anna Harishon blew it, as my kids always used to say to me when they were little. Why did he do that, Eva? He's like, why was he so stupid? You know, he ruined it for all of us. I was like, I know, but you know, I don't know if you would have done any better. It was, it was a big test. It was tough. Anyway, the point is, is we are all in the situation we are in, meaning that we have to worry and make our efforts to make a living because of Adam, because the world, so to speak, fell and became a different world, a different system, a different set of rules. Death was not supposed to be part of our existence. That only happened after Adam ate. So there's a lot to that story. We're not going into it now. But because of that, we have the mitzvah to make a living. My Revitson, Revitson Weinberg used to always say, a lot of people think that's a blessing and they become workaholics, but they forget that it was a curse, okay? You should, don't get so into your work or you know, spend your whole life working and, and neglect your children or think that it's a mitzvah to be as wealthy as you can be. There's no such mitzvah, right? So remember, it was a curse, not a blessing. Okay, uh, interesting. So. The Basilis Yasharim, the, the work, The Path of the Just in English, written by the Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, says man is obligated now to make an effort for his financial welfare because this is the way Hashem created things now. And it's like a tax that we have to pay. We have to make these efforts because it's like a tax that all of mankind has to pay for the sin of Adam Harishon for the sin of the first man. And the whole time that we're making these efforts, we have to keep in mind that it's not my efforts that are creating the results. I have to do them because that's teva. That's the normal way to do things because God wants me to pay the tax. But at the same time, I'm not allowed to think that it's my efforts that create the results. And that's hard. Okay. So it's not my efforts that create the results, but rather that I have to do these efforts. They're compulsory. So when you're making your efforts, when you're writing up a resume, when you're trying to get your kids into the right schools, when you're taking your medication or going for chemotherapy, God forbid, when you're putting your kid in his car seat or her car seat, when you're applying for jobs, you have to know at the same time that you're doing these efforts, you are not controlling the outcome. You're doing what you're supposed to do, 
But the more you think that you control the outcome, the more anxiety you will have. You know, maybe if I just make a few more phone calls, maybe if I talk to her who once I helped her, maybe she's going to help me. Maybe if I, you know, phone that person 25 times, you know, call them, call them, call them, you know, you know, try again, try again, try again. Maybe if I do that, then things are going to go the way I want them to, right? So we search for every effort and we can't become frantic in our efforts. And that only happens when we believe we're controlling the outcome. Again. We have to make our efforts, and for each person, those efforts are different. But there is a limit in terms of how much effort. And you know by the way you feel whether you're going overboard. You know, if you're not sleeping, and you're anxious, and you're worried, and you didn't call enough people, and there's one more person you forgot about, and maybe that's not the doctor, maybe it's this doctor, and I can't trust what Hashem's going to do because he doesn't know. I know better right? We know by the way we feel when we're overdoing. And we have to realize all you're doing is an effort to pay the tax. While you're making your phone calls, while you're taking the medicine, while you're putting your coin into the pushka, you're paying your tax. This is what you have to do. But we live in a world where we do so much. We are so stressed out. We are so busy. As free as we become from all of our you know, mundane tasks because of technology, they say man has never been more stressed, more out of control in terms of knowing when to stop, when to take a break. I mean, our phones are so addictive. I don't know about you. I'm hardly on anything. I mean, even being on a podcast now, it's like frightening. Like, what does that mean? I don't know anything about all these other places you can be and I don't know what it means and who can see me and what happens. But the point is, is there's so much to be busy with just with your WhatsApp and your email. You know, you could still have your spouse saying, will you put that phone down and say hello? (laughs) It's crazy. So we have to have a place where our efforts end and peace and tranquility begin and recognize that we're not in control. So what is, what's the benefits of this, of, of this bitachon that we're talking about, of knowing that we're not in charge of the results? We have to do to the best of our ability, but we have to know that it's not commensurate. It has no, nothing to do with the results. Okay. Number one, it's a big anxiety reducer, as I said. And it's very difficult exercise, doing what you have to do, but understanding you're not controlling the outcome. Rosimcha Zissel of Kelm said, it's like telling someone to break the vessel, but hold the wine. That's how hard it is. Break the vessel, but hold on to the wine. Do the efforts, but know it has nothing to do with your efforts. Okay? And this is true in every area of our lives. And the one area that I think a lot of people spend a lot of anxiety and worry is over their children and their grown children. And if I'd only done this, and if I'd only done that, and if I'd only said this, and if they'd only gone to that school, and if things would have only been like this, then they would have been so different. They would have grown up this way or that way, and their lives would have looked like this or that. And that's not a good place to go because that's not bitachon. 
Bitachon is, like Miriam Adahan always used to say in her Emmett group, I did the best that I could with the tools that I had. And I'm always doing the best I can with the tools that I have. And we don't always have all the tools and we don't always have the hindsight and the wisdom that we have later on in life. But it's things turned out exactly the way they were meant to. And we made efforts to the degree that we could and did at that time. So we're not supposed to beat ourselves up. We made our efforts. As my daughter always likes to say, I don't think any mother comes downstairs in the morning and says, gee, how can I mess up my kid today? You know, <laughs> How can I make sure they're going to need therapy for the rest of their lives? I don't think any parent does that, right? <laughs> so we all have good intentions. We all do the best we can. So even in that area, we made our efforts. The results were not in our hands. You know, I remember when I was studying at EAT with Robertson Weinberg, we had a book on, on uh, I guess it was on child rearing. And I remember I wrote on the front cover because she used to say this over and over again. She said, you know what? You have children who come from the best homes from homes where the father was a gadol in Torah. It was a beautiful home. It ran according, and the kid doesn't turn out. And then you have kids who come from the most dysfunctional families in the world, right? What's the definition of a dysfunctional family? Any family with more than one, one member, right? Um, anyway, the point is they come from the most dysfunctional family, and yet they turn out to be incredible people. Okay, so again, we do our best, but we do not have control over the results. You know, you go to see, you, you want your kid to get married. So you go up to one shadchan after the other, right? One yenta after the other to get this kid married. And you go all over the place and you call everybody and you bribe people and you, you butt in and you do this and that. And then, you know, you're in Florida and you're sitting at a hairdresser's uh you know, he's sitting in the hairdresser, the Sheitelmacher, and she says, hey, you know, did you ever think of Shloimi Pippik for your daughter? You know, and that's it. That's Shloimi Pippik, right? I mean, that's, that's the guy. So we never know. Okay, last idea, because we got to go. So there's another reason for Hishtadlu. There's another reason for why we have to make efforts. And this is a beautiful idea. It's because God is very Tzni'ut, Bitzni'ut. He's very covered. He doesn't want to be out there. He doesn't want to be showing off. Okay? He wants it to look like your efforts are what created the results. The purpose of our making our efforts is to help Hashem hide his actions. Because God likes to be hidden. He likes to be private. There's a beautiful expression, and it comes out in the Megillah Ruth, where it says that wherever you see my greatness, it says about God, you will also see my humility. You will also find my humility. The first place we have this in the Torah is where God is creating the human being. And he says in the plural, let us make man. And the rabbis ask, what do you mean, let us? Who else is around? Aren't you God? Aren't you the one and only? Who are these let us? Right? And there's even a question, why would that be in the Torah? It just would invite people to be her heretical and say, guess what? There wasn't just one God. He had a whole bunch of other gods helping him out. But the Torah says, no, that God was uh, going into counsel with the angels who were already created and saying, what do you think? Let's, let's do this. What do you think? Let's make man. 
And the rabbis say that the reason that it says, let us make man is because God wanted to teach us humility. That no matter how high you are up in the company, no matter whether you're the CEO or whatever, you should still ask from your underlings, their advice, their wisdom. What do you think about this deal? And it says that God even risked that people would think there was more than one God just to teach this lesson of humility. Wherever you find my greatness, that is where you will find my humility. And so, hishtadlut, our making hishtadlut is a way for God having a smoke screen. If he suddenly miraculously makes sickness disappear, it would make it too obvious that he intervenes. He doesn't want it to be obvious because otherwise our free choice would be limited, right? That's obvious. If every time we spoke Lashon Hara, our tongue fell out, we wouldn't speak Lashon Hara. If every time we did a mitzvah, money rained down from the sky, well, we do mitzvahs like easily. It would be simple, right? But there's a smoke screen because we need free choice. Things have to be able to be explained in a worldly fashion of cause and effect. You take your medicine, you get better. You eat the right foods, you stay well. You take care of your body, you will have a better chance of living a healthier life, right? He wants us, together with our free will, to discover him. So, you, you know, again, we can say, why did I get better? I got better because I took the medicine, of course, right? And God's intervention only becomes obvious to those who want to see it. For those of you who remember, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I lost my car keys and I found them just before Yom Kippur, right? It was like, Mom, I mean, sorry, just after Ne'ila, I had, didn't have car keys for like months. And as soon as I came home from Ne'ila, there they were. And when I told the story to somebody, they said, well, yeah, duh. I mean, you, you had that little uh, war veteran thing on it, right? And I was like, yes. They go, so what's the big deal? So somebody found them, put them in the mailbox, and they came back to you like, like why, why is this about God? You know? So again, it really depends what glasses you're wearing. Yeah, you're right. It's true. Well, there was a sticker there. And yeah, I guess, yeah, cause and effect. Somebody found them, and yeah, they put them in. Okay, that's true. Or, wow, they came back then and somebody found them and somebody put them in the, in the mailbox and I didn't even know there was a, a war veteran thing on there. So like, you know, and I didn't even know what that meant, you know, and it came back the very first second of the new year to say, hi, here's your keys, you know, whatever. It's our choice to discover Hashem with our free will while he's hiding. Okay, a few more examples, and then we're going to end. At the same place in the Torah where it says that God split the sea, it says right there also, before the splitting of the sea, it says God sent an east wind that was blowing all night. In other words, you want to believe it was God, believe it's God. You want to believe it was the east wind, and it was geography and global warming and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the... The, the winds of the world were aligned at such a place that at that moment they were able to split the sea and God had nothing to do with it. God always gives us a way out. Wherever God is doing a miracle in, in the Torah, there's always a natural way of explaining it. 
so that you can always have a way out. Your free will, again, we said, believing and trusting in God is a free will choice. If you decide you're going to believe and trust in God, then you will see evidence of it everywhere. If you decide that you are not, then nobody can ever, no answer to any question could ever satisfy. Because we have questions. We have questions. We are limited beings. We are living in chapter two of a story where we don't know the beginning and we don't know the end. We're very insecure. We're in the middle of the movie. Looks like the bad guys are winning, right? Don't go get popcorn now. <sighs> okay, so one more example of this. When I do hishtadlis, when I make my effort, I can help Hashem hide himself. Because there's always going to be some kind of cause and effect, and this can make help him hide. Another example of this is Alicia Hanavi. So there's a story about Elisha Hanavi, the prophet, that um, he was going on his way and he ended up staying at a home of somebody very important and the child in that home had died. And he revived the son of Isha, the Shunammite. The child was completely lifeless and God gave Elisha the ability to resuscitate him, to do mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation and bring him back to life. But the idea is that, did he have to do this, Alicia the Navi? Did he have to go and do mouth-to-mouth? -mouth? Well, yes, he did, because he had to make natural efforts. But really, Hashem, that wasn't enough to bring back somebody who was completely dead and lifeless. We're not talking about somebody who, you know, completely. But rather, he did it to cover up the reality that really Hashem was the one doing it. So we know that really Hashem is controlling the outcome, but it's very difficult to remember this. I did all this, but ultimately God's the one who made it happen. We're not conditioned to think this way. We're conditioned to take credit for our accomplishments. It's all my efforts that resulted in the outcome. It wouldn't have happened without what I did because I'm so smart and talented and beautiful and I have connections and money and everything else. That's why it happened. That's how come it happened. I have fantastic degrees, we have to say, but God gave me the job. And that's very difficult to do because our world doesn't think this way. Okay, we're going to stop here. We live in a world that says, you know what? You get where you get to because of your own efforts, because of your smarts, your, your go-getting nature, your, uh, you know, tenacity, your resilience, your, and yes, it's true that it matters what we do, but the bottom line, and again, this is the hard part of Bitachon, is that ultimately, no matter what you do, whether it's a lot or a little, the outcome is always in Hashem's hands. And that's Bitachon, that is breaking the vessel, and holding the wine. And it's a very difficult dance, as we are saying. So we'll see you again next week, God willing, and we'll discuss how um, having bitachon is also a great guilt reducer. I mentioned it briefly when it comes to children, but it's a great guilt reducer and anxiety reducer. So we need a vaccine for this world right now with this pandemic. But even when the pandemic ends, 
the greatest vaccine that we can take right now is the Bitachon vaccine, because that will take us not only till to tomorrow and throughout our life in this world, but it will take us into the next world as well. So God willing, let's continue our study together. And Mirz Hashem, everybody should have a good week and a healthy week. And we should only hear good news. And there should be refuah for all of Kal Yisrael. And we should greet Mashiach soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Devorah. Beautiful. Much appreciated.